Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Speaking in Church with me, Josie. And me, Spencer. This is a podcast where we talk all things churchy, faithy, spiritually, or not at all. It's whatever we want to (laughs) do. Right, Spencer? Yeah, totally. Sorry. That's okay. Today we have with us the amazing, the lovely Joey Reyes. Hello. (laughs) I'm well. I'm so glad that you encouraged me to go and get my wine. I'm ready. I'm here. You know, we're on different coasts. So like it's nine o'clock or just past nine o'clock for me. Ready to go to bed? (laughs) Um, yes and no. I, right. I I tell myself I'll go to bed early and then end up, you know, staying awake until midnight. So, oh no, one glass of wine at nine p.m. and I'm asleep. <laughs> I feel that. Guys, <laughs> if we're all drinking, is this like communion right now? <gasps> I guess so. Nice, yeah. I love it. I'm still practicing without it? acknowledging. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, Joey, you are. Um, well, I met you in college. Mm-hmm. right you were my friend's yeah. roommate is that how I met you is that the story I think I was thinking about this too recently because it's been a few years already but I believe the way we met was through our job with uh catering right oh yes that's how we fully connected <laughs> right yeah I remember just going over to Matt's apartment which is also your apartment and catching you a couple times, but then we became friends in catering. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. Then you remember better than I do. Yeah, that was sophomore year when Matt and I lived together. Shout out to Matthew Alfaro, um, <laughs> wherever he is, whatever he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> what up, Matt? <laughs> um, yes, but that yeah, that was sophomore year. And now that you said that, it's ringing back. But yeah, it was. We connected more definitely when. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd already been working 
I'd been working for the on-campus catering since my freshman year. And then I think it was the next year that you had started working there. Um, yes. And, and, that, and then, yeah, and that's how we connected more. Yeah, slaving away. <laughs> so we all went to APU then. Yep, yes, we did. Yes, common thread. And it feels like <laughs> such a distant memory at this point. But I Honestly. have, like, right here, I'm, you know, located sitting here at my desk right now, and I have my, my degree hanging over you know, Ooh. just watching. I worked I very hard for that piece of paper. <laughs> a piece of shit. <laughs> I have, I have my cap on my like top of my bookshelf next to my big red Bible, and I don't know why it's like makes me happy, but also gives me a lot of PTSD all at once. So <laughs> PTSD. Honestly, I mean, like it's it's high enough where it's not at eye level. It's like above my eye level, so it's not something that I'm like really seeing every day. But it is, it's there, you know just right. to remind myself that I have it <laughs> also I don't know this might just be because I was a ministry major and I literally had to take that bible everywhere but I think the reason I have severe back pain is because I had to lug it literally everywhere like in your backpack yeah like it would be like my laptop my big freaking bible and then all of my other books and yeah I would just get home and be like I need a chiropractor right now was oh, it I the the red one the the new yeah the big red bible one? yeah the nrsv with the apocrypha <laughs> annotated the apocrypha oh my gosh <laughs> talk about heathen am i right hey we actually i used the apocrypha in one class it took life and teachings of jesus with dr Hauge. shout out to him i don't think he'll ever listen but yeah we read the <laughs> apocrypha and it was wild guys freaking wild yeah my parents think the apocrypha is bad <laughs> you know as a lot of christians do i guess i'd never well, even protestants, heard of it protestants think it's bad catholics protestants. they're cool with that might be might be i'd never even heard of it until i started going to apu so <laughs> we're, at, mean, we're all we're all different levels here <laughs> amen. joey so why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your faith journey beginning to end whether it exists whether it doesn't just let us know a little bit about your relationship to the quote-unquote church we're sure absolutely absolutely oh my gosh what a I, I mean obviously I knew that this was happening so I you know was contemplating that I knew that this was going to be the conversation and really just trying to think like where does it start where does it end maybe like question mark um and and I've said in the past that I like kind of grew up in the church and that's that's like pretty truthful for the most part um you know my my parents didn't really practice any religion but my connection to faith really came through my grandparents um mostly I would say so you know my parents were together until I was two so I know them apart better than I know them together <laughs> um, and when they split I went to live with my mom and then when I would have time off of school I would go and see my dad and that would also coincide with seeing my grandparents and my grandfather um, was a cameraman for this church and it was a mega church um, so when I say cameraman, you know, it was it was something that was televised locally in Southern, Southern California, uh, which is where I'm originally from. And so that meant that that was the church that we would go to on Sundays. 
And so, and that ended up being the church where I was dedicated as a kid uh, and then eventually would be baptized at, but that was, that would come way later. But it was the church that I was the most familiar with. Um, and like I said, it was a mega church. So it was a large congregation and a pretty diverse one too, being in Southern California. Um, but given that I lived with my mom, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't going there constantly, but if, if there was anything about God and faith that I knew about, it came from going to that church. And, you know, time goes by <clears throat> and, excuse me, um, I'm 14 years old and at 14 is uh, when I came out. And at this point, um, I, you know, like I said, I'd been going to that church on and off, uh, but religion wasn't like a huge part of my life but i if there was any sort of faith i had it was based in christianity within that church and funny enough once i came out you know there's this there's like all these like other crazy things going on in my life at the time and you know parents being in relationships and those relationships ending and all this madness and going and living with other family members and this, this and that. But it, it was uh, during that time that I did start going back to church again. Um, and I think, you know, I, I was definitely looking for something. I was freshly out of the closet. Um, and some of my family was very open and accepting. And some of my family just didn't know what to do with it. Um, and didn't want to talk about it, didn't, didn't, I knew that they loved me, they continued to love me, but I think they just didn't know how to love me, if that makes any sense. Um, so I was, I think I was just trying to find something, find a place where I could feel wholly accepted and feel like all of myself. And at the time I was living with uh, a, a great aunt and uncle um, and a few of my cousins and, you know, they were, they were at least 10 years older than me, you know, in their twenties and we would go to church on Sundays and it was the same one that I would, had been growing up in, you know, at this point it was larger. They had like three services on Sundays and all these ministries and, you know, really, really big church. <laughs> and I started uh, during, while, while my family would go into the main sanctuary for the main service, I started going to a youth uh, Bible study that took place during the same time with the youth pastor. And I never like disclosed my sexuality at church because I still was like kind of nervous about that, but I didn't feel like I needed to hide myself in any way. Like I was completely present and fully myself. And I think people knew, but it was just something that, you know, and nobody was treating me differently for it. And so I just kind of went along with that. And I think this is where I started to understand and identify the concept of chosen family, um, which is a huge thing in queer communities. Um, but this was a bit more unconventional um, and very specific too, because of course I'd, I'd known that, you know, 
identifying yourself as a queer person in a church wasn't always the safest thing, obviously. Uh, so I just happened to be very lucky. And I was enjoying it so much that I started going up to three times a week. Um, my cousin would drive us and like Thursday nights, they would do like the high school service in the evening. And immediately afterwards, they do the young adult service. So while I was in the high school service, my cousin would go and like hang out with some folks. And then I would stick around with her for the, with, for the young adult service because I couldn't drive. So, you know, I was like, just connecting with all of these people and this continued for a little while and then eventually I moved back with my dad so then it stopped and I felt um, something again like missing from my life and then I actually during that time so now I'm like 16 17 in high school um, and I start getting all sorts of mail from all these colleges come visit us come check us out you know we have these programs if this is what you're interested yada yada and amongst all of those was uh, Azusa Pacific University and when I looked into it noticing that it was a, a Christian university and happened to be like right up the road from the church I'd been growing up in um I was like, this is it, you know, this, this is my opportunity to like, go, go to that school. I'll be going to, you know, I'll be so close to the church and, you know, hopefully I can like find friends in college and we'll all start going to that church together and yada, yada. I had like this, this whole like dream built up in my head. Um, you know, I, I go to, to uh, like a visitor's weekend at APU. I love it course you know they roll out all they put out all the stops they make it all shiny and <laughs> beautiful for all these like unsuspecting uh high schoolers <laughs> and I was you know, like I was hooked and I was a junior in high school at the time so I was like Ugh, I have to wait like I still have a whole another year of high school before <laughs> I can like go and be on my own and live my life and you know go to college and everything so, you know, that year passes, I graduate high school, I've gotten into APU, you know, I move, I move out of home, I start going to school, and, you know, it, um, I, I guess in a way, I was like pretty, pretty privileged in, uh, with the specific church that I had been attending because I was immediately thrown into a predominantly white institution of people from like all these different backgrounds who have, you know, varying beliefs. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I, what I expected. I certainly didn't think that everyone was going to like be the same as a church, but I don't know. I think it's just, you know, being young and hopeful and kind of like beginning to be met with a lot of ignorance. Um, and you know i think i th and i think it was during this time so i'm going to jump a little bit forward here i also i also identify as a non-binary individual i use they them pronouns and that's a that's a discovery that i um came to maybe about just just over two years ago in 2018 
I went to APU from 2012 to 2016. And during that time, and even growing up, um, and going through APU, I would often say that I felt like I was living in two different worlds. Um, and describe it as like, I was too white for the brown people and too brown for the white people. I was too queer for the straight people and then too straight for the queer people. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like a very big culture shock, I think. And it was something that, you know, with each passing year in the four years, never really like ran away. It was always like being faced with something, something else. And uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately by the t from freshman year to senior year I definitely um, got to a point where I didn't feel comfortable identifying as a Christian anymore um, I never I didn't I felt like what was being modeled as far as like the ideologies of the institution which of course you know affected the interpersonal and then the internalized for myself, um, you know, the four eyes of oppression, if you've ever heard of that, ide uh, ideology, institutional, internal, uh, interpersonal, and then internalized. Um, and because I went, I went in like gung-ho feeling like, oh yes, I'm going to, you know, I, I identify as a Christian and I'm also a queer person and you can like reconcile those two things. And I want to be like, a great example of that and and you know champion myself through these four years and and hopefully you know be a part of a, a new generation of believers and uh that just wasn't the case for me um also being you know a person of color i think factored into it and and i when i reflect on that now i can see how it did but definitely during that time i I don't think I was like very keenly aware to it or, you know, really tuned in to seeing how, how being a non-white person in the predominantly white institution was having an effect on me. Um, and then of course, like feeling so compartmentalized by my, my, my perceived gender. Um, you know, I was in a theater program and took acting classes and having, you know, having to play roles that were, that were just male, um, cis males, and and being pushed in ways that like made me really uncomfortable. Um, you know, trying to force a romantic lead type position, whatnot. Um, there were lovely and beautiful things that I learned from professors and from other people in my program. Um, but overall, it was it was definitely like it was a difficult experience. So by the time I was in my fourth year um, and started to really understand the systemic oppression that comes from that's like that, that comes from religion that's rooted in white supremacy and colonization. Um, it was just something that I could no longer connect with. Um, I just started to feel so much pain um, and like was feeling so exposed at that point that, you know, I, I no longer recognized what I had initially found back when I was like 14, 15 years old, you know, um, that like 
that love and brightness uh, and like that reflection of a church that felt like the true a true church to me where it was multicultural and and um people were just like expressing so much love to one another you know recognizing each other's differences so i knew that it existed but having go th- going going through this institution this machine it just you know it made me so exhausted <laughs> by the end of it that i was just ready to kind of you know go off into the world and find what it was that was going to help me connect to the creator um that wasn't rooted in my ancestors uh genocide and oppression <laughs> um so that i mean you know that and i graduated in 2016 it's four years later i've definitely you know i'm in a place now where i do feel more connected and i've i've taken it upon myself to to um, make time to study my ancestry and and what did they practice and what did they believe um and it's essentially all the same sort of like it's same things just like in different different stories different backgrounds different histories um but yeah i i'm a lot happier where i am now um than i was you know in 2015 2016 um I mean, we all have like different experiences going that I'm sure it's like wonderful and beautiful for a lot of other people, but that's just my experience with APU. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I, um, yeah, as a, another Latinx person, I can totally relate to that experience of yours at APU. Um, because I mean, when you do exist in these, white spaces but you're also not like you said like you're not white enough but you're not brown enough you're not enough for anybody mm-hmm. um and you could be talking spanish walking down the cougar walk or whatever and people think that you're weird when they're the ones that are in los angeles county <laughs> mm-hmm. in azusa california <laughs> right like do you know the history behind this place homies no obviously not um But I totally relate to that because, I mean, a lot of times Christianity, people talk about it as if it's this universal thing when really the only thing they're thinking about is white evangelicalism in America, Mm -hmm. which is very different than talking about the capital C church, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man. I I love your story. I love hearing it over and over again as many times as you're willing to tell me. (laughs) I know I was I'm I just like I I went on for quite a while there I hope that's okay but (laughs) just you know kind of like reliving and bouncing back and forth between everything you know I I I mentioned I I just I realized I didn't like go into detail about it but it was it was um back when I was 15 that I ended up getting baptized I made my own decision to get baptized I'd never been baptized and I was so you know like I don't know what to call it like I was just I was so deeply connected to something and I was like this is it I'm like I'm ready to make this commitment and I you know went and got baptized 
and I still have the certificate somewhere. <laughs> Actually, like inside the cover of, of a Bible that my godparents gave me um, like many years ago, somewhere, you know, back in California. I live in Connecticut now, but it's somewhere in the storage unit. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I, and I don't, and I wouldn't like ever get rid of something like that. I like, I very much, you know, am like, I I respect the journey that I've been on and and honor the journey that I've been on and I wouldn't want to like mm-hmm. intentionally like try to destroy a piece of my past like that um because it makes me who I am right mm-hmm. um and it and with with that being such a significant moment in anyone's like faith journey I think it's really important to like respect 15 year old me and where they were at that time um as much as I respect, you know, 18 to 21 year old me, um, being, being an APU. Um, Mm. (laughs) yeah, that's just, honestly, I think we just need to highlight that because I think that's so powerful for so many people. One, just thank you for sharing and being vulnerable and just highlighting of respecting 15 year old you and your decisions, because the truth is like, that experience is so valid and that's what you were experiencing and it was real and it was important to you. And I think a lot of times as we deconstruct our faith, we can look really critically on moments in our lives, especially when we were teenagers or um, just starting off like in college and just, oh, I should have known this or I wish I would have known that. And yeah, I think it's just so important to like respect that space. You just said it so beautifully and I just really wanted to highlight that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, I think, and in in just talking to you all right now, like I I've never, honestly, I've never like really thought about that or considered it. But this is what's like coming up for me right now, and now I'm like starting to feel emotional about it because <laughs> I wasn't. So, I mean, like that was like that was within like the first year of me, first year and a half of me like accepting who I was as a person. Mm -hmm. um and knowing myself um and like claiming that so like confidently um and to and then to have that that moment in my faith journey you know sort of like be within the same you know vulnerable time period that I was in it was like it was a whole lot of uh coming into myself Mm -hmm. I love that yeah so today um we had kind of talked about what we wanted to talk about and you came up with this dope title of the non-binary Jesus. Um, (laughs) And I just wanted to talk about it a little bit, you know, just a little non-binary moment. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely the impetus for this. And, you know, (laughs) as you said, in our conversations prior to, to recording today, um, we identified that a significant moment for us in at our time uh, at APU was taking the uh, class Luke and Acts with mm-hmm. Professor John Manning. Oh, shout um, out to John! Shout out to John! Oh, changed my life literally. <laughs> literally, that you know we're studying the story of Jesus in in that class, and I took I took it the fall of my sophomore year. So that was um, in the fall of 2013 uh, with, with a handful of other theater people. We made our, <laughs> as we do, we flocked to each other on the first day of class and all ended up sitting next to each other in the same corner of the room. <laughs> um, 
and what really blew my mind was was John's first of all enthusiasm <laughs> he you can just tell that he loves what he does and he loves connecting with students and and also challenging them and he did that by having us read Miguel de la Torre's book reading the bible from the margins and I, I'm sure I still have my, cof- my copy of it somewhere, you know, tucked away. Um, and that for me was, was the moment where I was like starting to really see myself reflected in my faith journey, which is, you know, been so whitewashed. Um, because specifically, I mean, it, it, the title speaks for itself, right? he he's uh introducing the idea to people of looking at the story of christ through the eyes of those who have historically been uh marginalized underserved underrepresented for thousands and thousands of years and what really really drove it home for me was maybe about three-fourths of the way through the book he started to break down the um uh, in these sections and sort of highlighting and, and names each each section. And I remember seeing the Black Christ, the Asian Christ, the Hispanic Christ, the gay Christ. That one for me, uh, of course, like really stuck out. And I just, I, I remember just reading it for the first time and my jaw dropped and I was like, oh my God, like I'm reading this right now at this institution and like, I never hid who I was, you know, by the time I was 18, I was so far out of the closet that I could never find my way back. Um, but I wasn't like announcing it, you know, to the whole, well, actually that same semester, I actually did announce it to the whole school. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> um, but up until that point, you know, I hadn't and I was, but I, I also wasn't like fearful to bring my whole self to a class. So, you know, with these readings we you know then went back into class discussions and it just fe- it just felt so empowering right like to 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 be talking about something that obviously is so personal um but we're also in a in a setting where we're continuing to learn and expand and grow like that's the point that's what we're paying all this money for um and to sit there in a room with predominantly white students and for them and to like and to watch them be challenged by this right and like that's the point but but um white fragility is a real thing right people get really defensive real fast and take it really personal and i'm sitting there and i'm like i just feel so empowered by what i'm reading and then people continue to push back and say well you're absolutely wrong you know this this and that and it's an abomination and yada yada and you know um yeah, I'm just like, I'm so, so, so grateful to John for that experience. Um, and he like, I mean, I remember like in looking for who I was going to take that class with, like he came highly recommended from other students. Um, so I'm just like super grateful for that experience. And for me, that was when I really started like, okay, if I'm going to read the Bible from the margins and look at, you know, my faith as a marginalized human being, as a queer person of color now as a queer done well I'd always been non-binary I just like realized it 
within the last couple of years, right? So I was looking looking at my faith as a queer non-binary non-binary person of color, you know, that all of a sudden like opens up the the world and the possibilities of of what it means to identify as a Christian or what is it or what it means to be a person of faith and extend love um to other people who who aren't like me. Um yeah, so that's that I mean like that definitely was the inspiration for this conversation and, and for the title of this episode. <laughs> yes, I love it. I I mean I love it because it's so controversial. I mean y'all know me. I love I love a good scandal. <laughs> <laughs> Stirring the pot. And I know quite a few people who are gonna read that title and think, oh Jesus was a man. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people that still, you know, refer to God as him. And uh I would argue that God is a they. Like God is God is non-binary. <laughs> Can I say that? Are people, you know, are people gonna be too thrown for a loop? I mean, that's um, in your Bible if you want to read it. <laughs> so I I actually saw this thing while when Josie uh told me that you were going to join us and just what you wanted to talk about, you know, just doing more research because truthfully, I only know besides you now, I know two, I only knew one non-binary person in my life that I had. I mean, I know mm-hmm. of other people, but had sort of an, a relationship with, and um, they're one of my closest friends. We grew up together in the church and we have a very intimate relationship of just knowing each other, but it's one of those things of just because you have a black friend doesn't mean you're not racist or just because you have a non-binary <laughs> friend doesn't mean that there isn't things that you need to learn about the queer community. And so just wanting to talk about a non-binary God, I think a lot of people use, oh, God has no gender, a genderless God. But I read this thing of, it's actually quite the opposite of God is gender full because God really displays every gender, male, female, Mm non-binary, everything in between, because God is God. Even see, I was about to say he, like, God just fully displays that when, you know, humans were created. And it says right in the Bible, as Josie said, like, we bear the image of God. So if non-binary people exist in our world, then they, and they reflect the same image of God, that Imago Dei, that is very clear in the Bible, then that's something Mm -hmm. that is important. It's something that needs to be highlighted and talked about. Um, Especially, I think, you know, a lot of people, what you kind of touched on of loving people that are different from you. And if there aren't non-binary people in your church, you got to ask the question, why aren't they here? Because God wants everybody here. And so, yeah, I'm just excited that you're here and have been so vulnerable with us. I love everything about that. So thank you. Yeah, thank this, you. Is, <laughs> this is kind of an argument I have with my dad all the time um, where he will say, um why do you have to why do you have to put why do you have to gender god why do you have to refer to god as a she why do you have to gender who god is and i have to tell my father that you know that uh, um, he is a gender you're you're gendering god why do you get to do it but why can't i do it and so i totally from my perspective i am more in the place of needing god to be a woman right um Mm -hmm just because of all the damage that has been done in my life from women sorry mm-hmm. mom um so me referring <laughs> to god <laughs> as a woman is empowering for me 
in this state in my life because I need a mother. I need to feel mothered. Mm -hmm. And some people need to feel fathered, sure. But how many more people need God to just be God? But can can we just highlight that, Josie, of you needing a mother? And I think, like you said, so many people, we need God to be a father, a strong father. And a lot of people do, unfortunately, have broken father relationships. But the mother relationships are never highlighted. It's pointed to, oh, your mom abandoned you. Well, God's a father that will never leave you. I don't have issues with a a father that leaves. I have issues with a mom that leaves. Or Mm -hmm. I have issue with just, you know, any sort of whoever was your nurturer. If they had someone that was supposed to be your nurturer, if you have an issue with that, that's who you're seeking God to be. And I think that really comes into play of exactly what you said of, it's not just a father for you, it's a mother. And then there's people, I mean, just for me, if I'm very comfortable with God as a father, I'm very comfortable with God as a mother. That's not, that's not something that I am hung up on at this part of my spiritual journey. But there was a time earlier when, yeah, I really needed God to be a father and that's okay. And so, yeah, I just really highlight that exactly what you said of, they come up with this argument of why do you have to change God or try to gender God? Like our whole lives, God has been gendered and that's something that needs to be addressed. And that speaks to the people's default, right? They think that male is the default, that men in the church, especially that men are the holy men are the leaders, spiritual leaders, the Mm -hmm. caretakers, the shepherds. And that's on patriarchy. (laughs) And I'm like, and being somebody who growing up was told that reading the Bible meant that you were a good Christian and taking that very literally and saying, okay, well, I'm going to read this shit a million times. And I did. I read the Bible through and through a lot and reading the passage where it says, that God is neither man nor woman and reading that you were made in the image of God and putting two and two together and saying, Mm -hmm. well, then why do, why are only men in the image of God in the sense that why are they the leaders? I'm made in the image of God. I Mm -hmm. can be the leader. This is what the Bible says that you told me to read and to take literally. So why should I be taking this literally? All the verses skipped over (laughs) about God being a mother, like so many feminine images and just nurturing motherly images that are somehow skipped over. (laughs) Yes. And the fact that like, oh, you know what? Okay. I'm also going to bring, bring into this offer up into this conversation, the TV show Lucifer. Yes. Um, If either of you are familiar or if anyone out there is familiar, um, (laughs) the first half of the fifth season just premiered on netflix recently and i binged it so now i'm like anxiously (laughs) awaiting the second half um but the theology in the show is so interesting you know and 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 you know with people of of religious backgrounds like i think it's such an important show like because you're you're kind of you're you're getting you're you're getting this like view this perspective from these writers of like humanizing the devil and then like bringing in characters like Cain and Eve and Lilith and whatnot and and what the show I think does a really great job of highlighting with the character of Eve is is you know she she has a she has a line in one of the episodes of like I was something along the lines of like I was made for somebody but nobody ever asked me what I wanted and along you know and I it was like such such this like 
this moment where you're like, yeah, you know, we live in this world that defines femininity as being in service of or in service to masculinity, right? And and people just like push so themselves so hard into these binaries. And it's like how like how you know, how can you look at this world, this huge vast world universe, diverse and fluid creation uh, that we exist in as humans and then say there's only men and there's only women you know there's only you know heterosexuality you know when you look at gender and sexuality as a spectrum and and honor that and respect Mm -hmm. that we're all created by this being that encompasses all of that too you know like I I'm at this point now where I'm just like how do you not see the fluidity and all of that you know we're not just masculine we're not just feminine no matter how you identify you're encompassing like all these you have emotions right yeah and even just I mean getting real scientific of there goes into the gray area that nobody ever really wants to talk about that there are human beings born with with um both quote-unquote male and female reproductive organs Mm -hmm. um and, you know, that's something that people don't talk about or just sort of, like, pushing on this of, oh, a lot of times, like, parents, like, choosing, like, oh, they look more feminine, so they should have some sort of surgery or hormone therapy, but mm-hmm. realizing that there are also people that grew up in that gray area that didn't have any hormone therapy or didn't have any sort of um, surgery and they get to a point in their life where they really, they have both of these and whether they decide to embrace both or embrace one, that's truly them and that's their journey. And so exactly what you said, you can't look at the whole world and say, there's just man and woman, or there's these strict gender roles that we have to adhere to because they're all such a construct and they're all so even, and I think this is the thing that really gets me even to cisgendered heterosexual individuals gender roles can be so incredibly damaging yeah so if they're they're even damaging to them then why why don't we ever acknowledge that we try to push them on so many people yet they're constantly damaging some people really do fit into these cisgendered heterosexual strict gender roles and they thrive and you know that's great for them because everybody has their own journey but that should not be something that is pushed on people and to be expected of people. And it's wild to me. Um, I mean, even just as a woman, I'm a cisgendered woman, but because I have a quote unquote boy's name, being misgendered my whole life and how frustrating that is. And so it's one Mm -hmm. of those things of, I can't even imagine what a trans person, a non-binary person, I cannot imagine having that be their whole life because even in just the times it's happened to me is so incredibly frustrating and just so diminishing of who I am as a person. And so I think that's something that really needs to be talked about and really just needs to be highlighted. Right. Because I mean, like my partner is male and I don't like to be referred to as a wife because of the connotations that I've grown up with in the Latinx community of -hmm. what being a wife means. I, because if you're I'm Mexican. So if you're Mexican and you don't cook for your husband, you better start because he's going to leave you, which is what everybody has told me my whole life. (laughs) And this idea of, well, then I'm not going to get married then because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be subject to no man or whatever. Mm -hmm. And me existing in this, like I took this quiz that some researcher put together on 
where you fall on the binary, mm-hmm. um, like this plot point. And I can't tell you how androgynous I came out after taking this quiz. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I identify as a woman, but I understand where this researcher was coming on from this like binary perspective. Mm-hmm. And growing up thinking that I wasn't woman enough or like now, like I'm not a good enough woman because I don't want to birth a child or my mm-hmm. partner saying, I feel so much pressure to be your provider because I'm a man. And he grew mm. up Mormon, which is a whole different ballgame. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we both struggle with these binaries that were placed on us that we just don't fit into. Because he, I'm more quote-unquote masculine than he is, and he's more quote-unquote feminine than I am. And, but why... Why do I? Why do we need to exist in these spaces that were created for us? Why can't we just make our own spaces? Why are people so resistant to that? And you being exactly who you want to be because they think it's weird, because they think it's quote unquote yucky or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like why is that? I wish people, especially you conservative types, say you're all about people minding their own business. Then mind your own freaking <laughs> business and let me live however I want to live. So I have a question for both of you framed in the growing up in a Latinx Hispanic culture. Um, From the outside, I just, my friends that I grew up with, like at middle school, high school, of this seemingly like the matriarch, like the mom holds all the power, but I've been told that's not true. It's sort of like a front. So I want to hear that. And also, Joy, I know you had kind of mentioned you lived with other family members. So how did that experience impact the way you see sort of gender roles and the binary or like a kind of like what Josie said just this who's the provider thing like that that's I think that's something really interesting since God is supposed to be the provider you know yeah oh you know it's so interesting and I think I think this is part of the part of why like I am so in love with femininity and and have embraced that part of myself is because I was surrounded by a lot more women um growing up than I was men um you know uh, the first obvious being my mother and living with my my mom from the ages of like two and nine um before I went to go live with my dad but even then like you know she would go off to work and I'd be with my my grandmother um who's a mexican immigrant and and spoke mostly spanish and then you know i'd go and like visit my dad but then he'd go off to work and so would my grandfather and then i'm spending time with my other grandmother you know most of the time and at one point she lived right next door to her sister who was also a stay-at-home um person and so i'd go over there and spend time with her and you know it, it was it was very like my 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 world I would say was dominated by femininity, but also, or and also, they weren't like traditionally feminine women. They also held a lot of like masculine energy. Um, now that I'm like talking to you about it too, like not just my mom, my grandmothers, and my great aunts and my cousins. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't know. I guess it, that's just like a really specific part of my you know my personal journey is that I think that energy just existed around me and then like and I'm thinking about like the things that I I loved watching growing up too and what I was like really always like drawn to like 
<laughs> this evening, right before this, I was having dinner and I watched um, Mulan, the original animated version. Yes. <laughs> and I was sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like I love this movie so much. It's one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. And like just the implications of masculinity and femininity mm -hmm. in that movie specifically. I'm just like, wow, like I was this four-year-old that was just consuming this and like so in love with it. The power and of a woman. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, um, I for some reason, I've gotten to the habit of watching things with subtitles. So mm -hmm. when she's singing Reflection, I'm also reading along and like really like absorbing these lyrics. You know, who is that girl I see staring back at me? Um, when is my reflection going to show who I am inside, right? Like, and I was like, mm -hmm. that is so trans and or non-binary. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's, you know, there's something in that that like speaks to it on a whole nother level, you know? Um, and even like, <laughs> this is like an obscure reference, but Chris uh, Tucker's character in The Fifth Element was so like I was you know being a kid I was like why is it? like I'm like so into it like this, this he's like dressed you know as me being the kid like he's dressed like a woman but like he's flirting he's flirting with these women and they're so into him and but he like he's so feminine and this like it was just like <laughs> you know like that like things like that just like for me where those are like those 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 little moments that I recognize in my childhood where I was like oh it's always been there yeah. and I've always been uh, I've always like knew it but I didn't like know it right <laughs> yes. yes I knew it in my heart but not in my head I love that now that you so talk about Mulan and that character in the fifth element I think I'm thinking back on little Josie and I'm like, I never questioned any of that shit I don't I, I thought Mulan was dope Mulan I wasn't very into all the classic Disney films, I was mostly just Hercules and Mulan were my two, my two yeah. ones. And people are like, when I was a kid, I wrestled with what's-his-face loving Mulan, obviously. And I was like, I didn't even think about it. I thought those were great. Love, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But uh, to go back to your question, Spencer, on my end, um, in my family, it's a weird dynamic. I think that a lot more Mexican people are more bin non-binary than they would like to admit. Mm -hmm. Because my mom is this strong, overtly feminine woman. But when it comes to the house, when it comes to the physical space, that shit is her domain. My dad has no say in the colors of the wall. He just has to put the color on them or <laughs> <laughs> and pay for the paint or whatever. Like, that's very much the <laughs> dynamic. Um, and my mom's pretty ridiculous when it comes to interior design. Like, one year... For around fall time there was a full-on gazebo over the kitchen table in the kitchen <laughs> and my dad just had to build it like that's all it was um and growing up in that type of environment I kind of got both ends right my dad is very creative um construction-y wise and design wise of like the practicality of things and music musically um, so I got that, but the aesthetic stuff I got from my mom and her side of the family. So I always grew up in this weird middle of, um, I want my wall to be this color, but I want my dad to teach me how to paint it. And I was always that annoying little brat that was around my dad and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, how do I do that? Can I do it? Can <laughs> I do that, please? Uh, and my brother was just not that way. And eventually my dad came to realize that he was never going to get that boy that was interested in building shit. 
Um, and I was his boy that was interested in building shit. Um, <laughs> but going up to my dad's side of the family, my grandma is the matriarch because my grandpa died when he was like two and my grandma is still kicking and she's still going strong. <laughs> and God forbid anybody talk to my grandma. And she's not very aggressive. She's, um, she's a stoic woman where it's like, you know, when she's pissed at you and granted, <laughs> She was a lot more of a disciplinarian when my my dad and his seven siblings were younger, but now it's nobody, nobody touches my grandma until little Josie comes in and my grandma feels very comfortable asking me at some point if I'm a lesbian because I had no boyfriend, <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny how, I mean, it's funny how some matriarchs fall on that when they become grandmothers, right? This like soft. Josie, are you a lesbian? Because that's fine. But can you give me a grandkid even if you're not married? Granted, my grandma's very religious. <laughs> and it's just so funny. But um, I think that that exists probably because women are expected to be matriarchs in the home. They're expected to take charge of their home. And mm-hmm. laundry is done a certain way. And dishes are done a certain way. And men are just supposed to bring in the money and bring in the resources um so the binary definitely still exists which is probably why people are so confused um as to why you know whether it's a matriarchal society or patriarchal society Mm -hmm. i think it's just more um the binary is there but the resources are kind of spread across it whereas in like american society men are still kind of expected to do some level of housework See, and I I grew up with a stay-at-home dad, so him doing the housework was just the norm for me. Hmm. Um, My mom has always been the breadwinner, and and yeah, my dad worked for a lot of, my dad worked for most of my life, but he had the work schedule of, he dropped me off from school, and by the time I got home from school, he was home within the hour, and he was off every weekend. He was the baseball coach. He took me to choir practice, all that kind of stuff, so yeah, I can see what you're, what you're talking about of just how in, in your culture and how you were raised, how sort of outsiders can see it a certain way, but what you experience is very different. And I mean, even for me, I will never forget my freshman year at APU, I was sitting in uh, like the gen ed, like human development class. And we're <laughs> talking about um, like attachment theory of, and baby's development. And we're talking about like stay at home parents and somebody in my class was just like, oh, I think it's really important to like have a stay-at-home mom. Like it builds like good, strong bonds and all this stuff. And she's like, I understand it comes from a place of privilege though. Not everybody can have a stay-at-home mom. And our professor was like, well, what about a stay-at-home dad? And she's like, "Mm, I don't think that's the same. And me just being like, well, I had a stay-at-home dad. And this girl, like her (laughs) face turned like bright red and she just did not know what to say. And then to like icing on the cake, my professor was like, yeah, my husband actually is at home with our toddler right now. Like we really wanted that from the get-go of he wanted to be a stay-at-home dad until our son reached kindergarten. And I was just living for it of, yes, like there's so many things that need to be challenged. And um, I, yeah, I just love what Josie said about that kind of little kid that wants to know what their dad's doing, especially a little girl. I think, you know, and here's like the other thing too, of a little girl wanting to know what her dad is doing is cute, but a little boy really involved in what his mom is doing is somehow like, shunned away of, oh my gosh you're gonna turn him gay or like don't do mm-hmm. this don't do that like gosh there is such there's such a double standard of 
the tomboy girl is cute and people encourage it up to a certain age, like people encourage it. But as soon as a boy of any age shows a feminine trait or wants to play with a doll or anything like that, it's instantly flipped the coin. And I've just never understood that. Yeah, I remember a couple years back where I was visiting because in college I would go to Mexico for like a whole month during Christmas break. And I remember sitting, my cousin, she was a, she owned a salon, she owned her own business. Um, and she had just had her little boy and they were talking about how he, they, she wanted him to wear a specific pair of shoes to Christmas that she had bought him, but his feet weren't growing or whatever. They just didn't fit. And so she was thinking about adding like a strap, like you would see in any woman's shoes so they wouldn't fall off. Mm-hmm. And my mom's sister, my aunt saying, you can't do that to him because it's going to make him gay. Adding a, it was like a, they call it a pulsera, which is like a bracelet to his ankle so his shoes wouldn't fall off. Oh my god! I was like, and I just remember sitting there thinking like, uh, not thinking because I'm very aggressive, saying like, that's not going to happen. And then, then talking about, of course, Josie, because my whole family is religious, right? They're saying, Josie, like, I don't even let him play with like my, my makeup brushes because he's going to be gay. And I remember saying like, a lot of First of all, a lot of male makeup artists are straight. Yeah. (laughs) Second of all, I mean, we have male makeup artists. And third of all, probably not. He doesn't know that it's this feminine thing. And fourth or whatever, who cares? Like, why is that a big deal? Like, who cares? Also, just the idea of if if your kid is gay, they're gay. Like, they're going to be gay no matter what you do because, (laughs) you know what I mean, that they're they're born that way. I hold that belief. So, yeah, yeah, a makeup brush or a doll, God forbid, or a strap on their shoe. Like, it's wild the things that people justify in their minds of that's going to make them a certain way. And I'm like, "Mm, Yeah, that idea hasn't really hit Mexico, the concept of being born gay. Um, which is super sad. I mean, I have a cousin who I love him to death. It's actually this, the salon owner's brother. He, um, is getting married in December to his longtime partner. And I'm so stoked because I mean, it's a wedding and in Mexico weddings are so much bigger and grander, right? Oh my God. And they, uh, the two of them are very bougie. Sorry to have my beaded sequin gown ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it was this it's so sad to me because ever since I was little and my dad, my parents saying like, Oh, well, if your cousin ever decides to get married, we can't go to that wedding. And ever since I was little, I remember telling my dad, like, if you don't go to that wedding, you're going to have to answer to me. And my, I have my dad wrapped around my finger. So that means a whole lot. (laughs) And I've held to that. And I, my, I mean, it's so sad that my cousin doesn't even, like, invite anybody of the family that he knows won't come because it's, like, an affront. So he's very respectful in that sense, which I have another issue with. Not an issue with, but I just have, like, some reservation about. Um, and now, I mean, it's this idea of, like, me telling my dad, like, I'm not going to remember, I'm not going to forget this, that you decided not to go to my gay cousin's wedding because of what you think it's going to tell god that you love the gate or whatever I, I don't understand that rationale but it's so sad that this is what it's come to right of mm-hmm. this idea of you can't even go to your nephew's wedding and i don't know if his sister's planning on going i don't know i know his mom is planning on going because she's a little bit more radical like me but this idea of like you're not worthy of love because you're gay 
or how is that any how does that have anything to do with what you were taught in your bible that you're reading when the first commandment the greatest commandment is to love your god and to love your neighbor there's no stipulations to that Mm -hmm. there's no but you cannot love them or you cannot show up for them but you can't there's no stipulations it is to love full stop period i think i oh go ahead no go ahead go ahead okay um really like when it comes down to it what it all boils down to is like you need to decolonize your ideas of gender and sexuality you know this is this is all a result of of people coming over here and and um uh imposing their their beliefs onto others literally like believe it or you die you know live by these rules or you die um and you just it's it's so it's just centuries worth of trauma right that we're that we're living in as marginalized people um and we're just we're trying to be liberate ourselves from that right like i mentioned the four the four eyes of oppression earlier how the ideologies lead all the way into like you as a person internalizing those beliefs um that they're untrue um and that's where it starts it's like you have to undo all of that within yourself before we can like start to undo it like together as a society um and like we you know in there are indigenous cultures that that recognize um gender fluidity and and you know those 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 people were were held in high regard those people were healers in communities right those people were seen as as being bridges to to um higher higher spirituality um and it wasn't until you know they were being killed and and exploited um that that those identities were taken from them and were having to like adhere to a new standard uh that they just were so unfamiliar with um and which has resulted in in like these 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 gender roles and and binaries and boxes that you know society keeps pushing onto us today so i think just it's and 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 that, i mean that even speaks to like the mo- current moment that we're living in right now the the immense civil unrest and the the intense racism that exists within our society too right it's like it's not enough to to um to to say that you're not racist you have to like actively be an anti-racist what are you doing today right that 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 is like shedding that that internalized piece of you that says that you are better than someone else because your skin is lighter than them um like these are these are uh, like all of these things are intersected right um there's a difference between being a cis gay white man and a cis gay black man and then you know Mm -hmm. and then you and then you take into consideration the the disproportionate amount of violence that trans black trans women experience in our society you know and then people like jk rowling get to like go on the news and say i'm writing this book about this cis white man that dresses up as a woman and murders and to to like murder other women like you don't like do you realize that that you're adding to this narrative this ideology that then trickles down through institutions and amongst other people and then allow you know you're you're a young adult novelist right you've had an impact on so many people's lives and then now this new generation coming up is seeing that you're feeding into this narrative and you have like 
young trans and non-binary people seeing that someone with such a held in such high regard is like perpetuating this narrative and that doesn't that's like so disheartening and unhelpful right like like lgbtq youth have like higher suicide rates than 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 their peers right like these these are the things that 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 feed into this cycle so yes i'm just like if there's anything I'm going to continue to advocate for is to just like really think and consider like what you believe and, and take into consideration that it's potentially a colonized ideology that's rooted in white supremacy. Right. I mean, just today I was reading about this fucking doctor and this ICE detention center that's performing hysterectomies on women Mm -hmm. that did not understand and I was talking to my boss, Sarah, over lunch today, and I, I was telling her, I was like, if the, the bare minimum, your excuse is that you didn't have a translator in a country with millions of people who speak Spanish, mm-hmm. that's not a fucking excuse. Like, I, I remember feeling all this rage a couple hours ago reading this and thinking of all these experiments on black women back in the day and how they were sterilized and how Mm -hmm. there are still countries today that sterilize women or um, people with uteruses because they have down syndrome or because they are autistic Mm -hmm. or whatever have you and thinking like this is this is the beginning these are the markers of a genocide Mm -hmm. and these are my people and these are women who have crossed into a better life or who are trying to cross into a better life and thinking like, I'm not far removed for that. I'm first generation. And thinking of my family, my female family members with uteruses crossing that border and thinking that they could be put in that same jeopardy. And I mean, it's just in this time of like Black Lives Matter, and I'm not one of those Hispanic Latinx people that is crying out against, um, hysterectomies in response to black lives matter i think it's both and Mm -hmm. i'm very pro blm obviously because i'm i just there's no other way to be a christian in my eyes um but thinking like you are under all this immense like you're under this microscope right of civil unrest and of people talking about things in just like in terms of justice and still you as a doctor think that it's fun or I don't know what you're thinking that you could just perform hysterectomies on women because you feel like it because of the heavy periods and it's just I don't know like living in a country that talks about being a Christian nation and the political party that decides to be like this family values political party are the ones advocating for ICE and these are the people that are perpetuating these atrocities against humanity Mm-hmm. like what do you like and america is a colonizing nation right like america they are like we are colonizers just because we enter into spaces that are not our own into countries that are not our own p- pushing our ideals on people that don't necessarily hold the same beliefs as us mm-hmm. and i just can't reconcile this is going to be controversial in case you don't know me i can't reconcile (laughs) at this point in my life being an american and being christian and being mexican if that makes sense like those three things have obviously come to like this head that i just don't know how to reconcile especially the american part because 
if you are willing to perform these operations on women that don't understand what you're saying, that hold my blood, how am I supposed to identify with you, a nation that says that I'm American because I'm born here, Mm -hmm. when you could have easily performed that operation on me? Something that I, just to touch on that American Christian reconciling that, one thing I heard when I was younger was um, that I think about a lot, especially in these these times of, am I a Christian who happens to live in America or am I an American that happens to be a Christian, if that mm. makes sense, and sort of distinguishing the two. Mm. And I think it's really, and that's something that I've grasped, I've wrestled with and I've grasped for so long of, I, I very much am, I'm a Christian that happens to live in America. I'm not an American that happens to be a Christian. I am a Christian that happens to live in America. And exactly what you said, there are so many things that we've been taught are American ideals that just do not, do not sit well with me and how we're called to live out as a Christian, as a, as a follower of Jesus, what have you, like, that just isn't, they just don't line up. And I think that's really hard for people. And it should, I think it should be hard though, because I'm sure any country in this world, in this world, you could have, you could ask yourself the same question and there are things that are going to be hard and it should be hard. But I think that it really digs deep into just idolize Like we, we have America as an idol and I don't want my idol to be our country. I don't want my idol to be a political party, even though, you know, I have, people in my family that would say, oh my gosh, like you just like are so into like the democratic party and all that. And you know, there's things (laughs) I love about it. There's things I hate about it. I don't want it to be an idol, but in this moment in time, that's where, that's where I sit. I feel more comfortable aligning with that party, obviously not 100% and that's okay. But yeah, I just think that's something to think about of exactly what Josie said. There are so many people in this country that are one person away and some of it is really just happenstance luck whatever you want to call it it's really just you're in the same position and you just somehow weren't given the horrible end of the story like so many people are experiencing right now from from women and children and families being separated and put in cages to black men and women on the street being killed like there's, there's such a thin line. There are so many people where their stories are so parallel and almost exactly the same until the ending. And it's something that we have to reconcile with and really just struggle with and really have hard conversations about with both Christians and non-Christians. And I think that's so super important. Right. Because I mean, I think to bring it back to the non-binary Jesus, um, (laughs) I think we as all three of us are american i think as americans we in our entirety need to reconcile the fact that america was not only built on the black i mean no no america was built on the backs of slaves Mm -hmm. and america will still not reconcile what that means and the implications that has on modern day society but also that ever since then america was built on the backs of oppressed men and women having to exist in a binary that they may not identify with um i I guess not built off of because that's rude to black people but um america 
perpetuated those ideals to the rest of the world, right? And continue to do so, that men are created to be a certain thing and women are supposed to be a certain thing. Um, and I think that we as Americans, we as the people that have the most production value in the world that are putting out all of this media and all of this content out into the rest of the world, we need to take responsibility for that and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of people especially people of color that are doing a good job of doing so of making sure that all types of people are represented represented but we need to do a better job as well we can't yeah. continue to be these colonizers especially in the age of the internet when mm-hmm. colonization is so much easier mm-hmm. yeah and and to add to that too you know you I love that you're 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 bringing us into like we all need to like claim responsibility and and hold each other accountable and and all of these like intersectional isms because um you know one of the things that I'm also like we're talking a lot about right now is addressing anti-blackness within the Latinx community specifically Amen. um because just because we if we do identify as people of color um we can still perpetuate anti-blackness you know um and color well i don't want to say colorism because saying because co- call colorism what it is it's anti-blackness you know it's a it, like it's anti-black to say that color to say colorism instead you know like, it is racism that's what it is <laughs> yeah and to to highlight for our friends that might be listening and not know what that is colorism is the idea that lighter skin is better is that correct yeah so okay. it's 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 essentially that something within like communities of color you know, when you, when you look at the history of colonization in Mexico and South America, and when the Spaniards came, they developed the caste system is what they, you know, mm-hmm. called it. And literally, like, a shade chart of, like, the lighter you are, the closer you are to European features, the more privileges you hold in the society, the closer mm-hmm. you, are, you are to more African features more and more, like, darker skin, the less privileges that you had in the mm-hmm. society. Um, and that was literally like racism right then and there literally being created as these people were coming to invade these lands in order to maintain a hierarchy and control. And so, of course, that's like trickled through into modern day society where yeah. like a lighter skinned Latino can still perpetuate anti-blackness and, and you know, and, and, and and claim that there are no black people that speak mm-hmm. Spanish, you know, stuff like that. The, so the image that popped into my head when you're describing this is instantly, I just thought of like a makeup aisle at Target of looking at shades and just seeing even that of colorism and racism of, um, if you have my skin tone, I'm a white woman. If you are listening, you don't know who I am. I'm a white woman. And I have so many options mm-hmm. and the darker skin you get, um, you don't have as many options if you've never been into a makeup aisle. Um, I think that should be a challenge. Just kind of walk into that and look at that because I think that is a very clear and blatant, um, just good visualization for what you're talking about of what does it look like to look at a skin tone chart and seeing how things sort of progress down and the less opportunities because it's seen just in modern day makeup, you know? Yes, it is a literal representation of how darker hued people exist in the world you have mm-hmm. less options yeah <laughs> unless you make unless people come before you and continue to push these you know ideals forward but um yeah I totally resonate with that Joey I mean I've even from my own personal journey I've stopped identifying as completely Latinx I've had to you know tell people like I am 
a white Latinx woman because uh, even as much as my complexion can change, I know that I am deemed more beautiful, more worthy, more educated simply because I am whiter. My Spanish um, colonizers show up more on my skin. And a lot of my family doesn't like that I do that. They don't appreciate that I call myself white. And maybe I'm not completely white, right? Maybe I'm, because people see me and they know that I'm not American or they know that I'm not completely European, but I have to wrestle with that and I have to identify myself as somebody who is of lighter skin tone. And I do have a privilege based off of that. Mm -hmm. I did growing up, I was deemed more worthy of an education because I am white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have that unfortunate like weight on my shoulders that I needed. I felt like I needed to, just, to educate myself to sound more like a white woman mm-hmm. to be deemed as worthy um, in the American society where women of Mexican descent are just not seen as anything other than your cleaning lady. Right. And I mean, Mm -hmm. my mom is super white and she's still not seen as much more than just some Mexican woman that can't speak English. And I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I mean, if, if anything, like, you know, I know that we started this conversation with, with sort of the moniker of the non-binary Christ, but as we're seeing, it's hard to talk about gender and sexuality without talking about race without talking about class without talking about Mm -hmm. you know um uh mental health without talking about um uh disability like these things are so interconnected and and that's the thing that uh you know to anyone that's that's listening i would encourage is like really start leaning into the fact that that these things are connected right and they they all coexist as we do with each other these things coexist and it's a huge huge task to undo the damage that has been done for so so many years but it's it's a marathon and not a sprint right like Mm -hmm. that's why we have each other so that we can work together to work towards a better society and leave leave behind society for future generations that don't have to continue to like make up for our our fuck-ups right yeah um that's what you know these are the things that we're trying to and like i said earlier it starts with yourself like how have you internalized these things you know um and i will continue encouraging non-black people of color to uh, you know claim their proximity to whiteness and the privileges that have been given to them because of that um because we're not exempt <laughs> from perpetuating anti-blackness. I'll scream that into the void until I die. Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot of hope that, that, that relies, you know, despite all the ugliness that continues, you know, to exist in this new world is what I'm calling it. Um, you know, this, this uh, pandemic ridden world. Um, there's still a lot of tenacity in our spirits a lot of resilience and we can like we can undo this together if you know we can just find a way to like work work with each other and and accept each other's differences you know we have an election coming up that's a huge huge thing where we can do undo a lot of damage that's been done over the last four years so 
Amen. Well, I'll preach. <laughs> that's a great word. Thank you so much, Joy, for joining us, joining us today. Um, thank you for thank, having me. Yeah. Thanks to everybody for listening. Um, this is a great conversation. And I think that Joey's word is a great <laughs> way to stop, you know, um, yes. to I think Joey's going to have to come back. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, this conversation went all which ways, but I loved it so much. <laughs> I'd be happy. I'd so be happy to come back. I really appreciate you having yes. me. Um, well, uh, thanks friends. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at speaking in church, um, speaking in church at gmail.com. If you want to bitch at us or let us know that you love the podcast. Yes. <laughs> if there's anything you want us to talk about, any guests you want us to feature, leave them in the comments on our Instagram, email them to us. Um, and as always, just a reminder that this is an open space. So if you don't agree, welcome. We want you here. If you agree with every word we said, great. We're here for it. But yeah, just a reminder that this is for everyone and we want to engage with you. So leave us some comments, um, maybe find Joey on Instagram or Twitter, whatever they feel comfortable with and just join the conversation, guys. Yeah, Joey, tell us where I would find you, what you're up to, to plug yourself for a oh, second. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to. Um, on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at Reyes. The letter M, the letter X, J-O-E-Y-R-E-Y-E-S. Um, I also uh, host, co-host and produce a podcast myself called Soul Talk. It's a branch of an organization where I'm the associate producer called The Soul Project. And it's uh, an initiative that's dedicated to creating space for Latinx storytellers across all media to be able to tell, you know, talk about their art, their lives, their journeys. Um, we just launched our fall season uh, earlier in September. So go ahead and check that out. <laughs> we'll make sure to link that in our comment section so you can follow Joey and um, all the good work he's doing. So, or they are doing, I'm so sorry. Yes. Thank you so much, friends. Um, we look forward to having more conversations and I guess we'll catch you next time. So, you know, uh, stay woke or get woke. <laughs> <laughs> Love you all. See you next time. Bye. Bye.